Hey y'all, welcome to February 2022's Dante's Old South. I'm your host, Clipper Brooks, and this evening we have some phenomenal guests from all over the country with music to cushion us in between. Before we begin, I want to give a shout out to Meadowbrook Inn in Blowing Rock, North Carolina for being a huge supporter of this show, and of course, WUTC and NPR for their continuing love. So, now... Let's rock and roll. And up now on Dante's, we have teacher, author, and Alabama's new poet laureate, Ashley M. Jones. Ashley, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I am fine and dandy like sour candy, and I am thrilled to see you this morning. <laughs> um, now, it is a big deal, and it's been talked about. You have made national, international news, but tell us why your appointment as poet laureate of Alabama is such a unique, brilliant occasion. Wow. Well, I mean, first of all, I have to say your radio voice is excellent, Cliff. I, I aspire to that, that level of radio voiceness. Um, so I think a few things that make this appointment really exciting um, for me and hopefully for the whole state of Alabama, maybe for more than that, um, is that we are sort of breaking um, a barrier I'm the first person of color. People have been saying I'm the first black, which I am black and proudly so, but I'm the first person of color, period, person of any color to right. hold the position in Alabama. And this position has been in existence since 1930. So it's 2022, that's 92 years of right. it being in existence. Um, so it's pretty incredible in both negative and positive ways that I'm the first one ever, you know, to, to right. be non-white and serving in this way. Um, so that's been big for a lot of people. You know, um, when I was young, I never really thought I would be a first anything, you know, like we learned about all the first this and first that. And I, I was a kid in the 90s, so it wasn't like millions of years ago that I was a child. <laughs> um, you know, I'm 31. People are always like, ooh, do you want to tell your age? I've never really been that kind of person or woman to be like, ooh, don't tell them how old I am. I'm very glad to be how old I am. I hope I make it to other ages. But um, when I was young, I never thought, oh, I'll be the first or that there even would be firsts in my lifetime anymore. Right, right. You know, um, huh? so that's that's interesting. Like, I'm glad that we're kind of crossing that barrier. But I also feel a huge responsibility to keep the door open because it can be easy to be like, oh, we did it first over. Now we don't have to worry about that anymore. And in fact, we have to worry about it more, <laughs> you know. Right, right. Yeah. What and and I can hear the 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 I would I say anxiety, but I I, I feel the acknowledgement of the weight that you carry. So I hate to keep digging into it, but I feel like I got to not feel like I, I this is even worse. I, I want to dig into this. What is that mantle like to pick up as poet laureate? And 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 what what is what is what is that like for you? Uh, well, you know. It is a lot of responsibility. I can't lie to you and say like, oh yeah, it's nothing like it. I feel it, you know, I definitely yeah. take it very seriously. Um, you know, on the one hand, you're excited to represent your people. And I mean that expansively, my people as in black people, my people as in Alabamians, my people as in poets, my people as mm -hmm. in Southerners, all of those things as an American, yeah, everything. But, you know, I also feel, like I said before, this great pressure to make sure I'm not the last, you know, so often those of us who are um, 
firsts or onlys. Like I've been an only in my classes before all throughout school, you would look around and be like, oh, there's only two black people here, you know? <laughs> right. So you feel, you know, that, that pressure to be like, oh, I have to represent perfectly because if I don't, then there will never be another. And that's an unfair standard, but that's the way that it is for people of color, unfortunately. Um, right. You know, we are held to a different standard. So I definitely feel like I have to represent and make it so that all the firsts, we can like just get them done so people can, you know, everybody can have access to any position um, and not in a sort of like, quote, colorblind way. I don't believe in that, but, you know, in mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. in a very... Um, this is an equitable thing, sort of. Way. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, you, you're blessed enough to, to, to have that state of mind. You're blessed enough to be in this position and blessed enough to be a teacher to teach those coming up that it mm-hmm. can be done. Look, it's here as an educator. Tell us where you teach and, and, and what you teach and who you teach. So I teach in two places um, full time. I mean, I, I do too much in general, but my, my <laughs> jobs, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm I do, I do. <laughs> doing too much. Um, mm-hmm. But what I do for a living is I teach at a high school here in Birmingham. It's called the Alabama School of Fine Arts. Um, it's in downtown Birmingham. And it, I actually attended that school um, from seventh to 12th grade. So mm-hmm. we serve seventh through 12th graders in six mm-hmm. different disciplines. Um, and I teach in the creative writing department. Gotcha. So that's what I do day to day. My other job, which I just recently started, I work in the low residency MFA program at Converse University, which is in gotcha. Spartanburg, South Carolina. Yeah. So I'm teaching young, young people and not so young people um, how to how to write, not how to write, but I guess how to, how to hear their voice and respect the voice they hear. That is so good. Can I tattoo that somewhere? That's it. That's it. It is. It's the, it's the joy. And and I know, and people can pick it up on this interview. They can read it when they read other interviews of you. Um, The joy you have with the written word and with Mm -hmm. education. And, Mm -hmm. and, and you always hear like those who can't do teach. And that's an awful maxim (laughs) they they could teach you not how to write you know um (laughs) you have this exuberance about you that that makes inspiration happen i think um when it is how do you keep that inspiration up not just in your classroom but i'll even complicate this more like how do you keep that up in the classroom and then when you write sit down and do that where's that wellspring come from well that's an interesting question i mean i definitely sometimes feel very uninspired you know people sometimes think, oh, you're a poet. You must always have ideas. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going through right now a slight dry spell. Um, I mean, there's little like pieces of light here and there, but right. you know, when you're stressed, when I'm stressed, like where is the poetry? You know, it's not, it's not <laughs> way <here>. back here. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but you know, what I try to focus on to keep myself feeling energized, maybe not so much inspired, but energized to do anything is to remember, um, you know, the spirit of why I'm doing it, you know, for me writing and even teaching is not really about academics. Uh-huh. Academia is like a cold, unfeeling thing that just happens to, be related to what we're doing as writers and teachers. For me, what I'm doing on the page, off the page, wherever, is tending to my soul 
and the souls of others. So when I enter the classroom, yes, I have a lesson to teach. I mean, sometimes I don't, you know, I just need to make sure the kids don't die, you know, in my care. <laughs> Honestly, that every right. teacher, teachers out there, y'all know that is part of your job just to make sure people survive the class period. Gotcha. Um, but, you know, I'm really thinking, how can I, number one, not kill anybody's dreams, not their bodies. I mean, their bodies, too, but right. not kill their dreams because teachers do have an incredible ability to derail someone's whole trajectory in life. Mm -hmm. And we don't realize, that. I mean, some teachers, I think, realize it and abuse that, but uh -huh. it does matter. People can look back over their life. Like I think about my dad, um, may he rest in peace. I think about my dad who um, still remembered, you know, and he was um, 59 when he passed, but he still remembered up until his middle age that, you know, this one teacher in the first grade was like mean to him and mm -hmm. was discouraging to him. He mm -hmm. never forgot that. We all have those stories. So yep. when I'm entering a classroom, I don't want anybody to think back 20 years later and be like, oh, Miss Jones, she's the reason I never. No, no, no. I am here to support you. I'm here to offer you information, to show you that the world is expansive, to open your mind. Like, I, I, I think I don't want any student of mine to enter the real world, quote unquote, not having been exposed to things that they need to be exposed to. So there's that. The thing about writing, I think, is maybe the same. I don't want to enter the page and alienate anybody, including myself. Uh -huh. You know, growing up, um, going through the you know public education system, private, whatever, whoever's education system, let's be honest, mm -hmm. we don't always see ourselves reflected or we might learn from what we read or what we're taught that our perspective is invalid. I know I definitely felt that. So when I'm writing... I don't want to do that to people, you know, when right. they read my work. So I try to be very authentic to me because I do believe the more specific and authentic you are to your experience, the more room is created for others, you know, to feel their own authenticity. So I try to do that. Um, and, you know, as far as keeping the inspiration going, I just try to keep the channels clear because I feel like the, the spirit is what gives it to me. So I just try to stay as quiet as I can to hear that. So, uh, this is the most quotable show I've ever put on NPR. Guaranteed, <laughs> guaranteed. Actually, I swear to God. And 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 the 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 you can feel when you read your books and and you read your work. Uh, it, it's it's electrifying, but you're drawn into it. You know the accessibility uh, of your poetry. It goes across all lines, and and that's what you know. In in my opinion, accessibility is the highest virtue in writing poetry because if you can't get your point across, why are you doing it? You know, right. um, the awareness that your 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 writing creates is profound and it's lasting. Uh, the energy that you have, again, you'll read it in your books and uh, and they hear it when they see you live and or over Zoom. You know, with the time of COVID. Speaking about all of that and your energy moving that forward, what events, what deals you have coming up in the future that we can look out for? Well, today actually, um, I have well. Yeah, it's in the past for you. And maybe there's a recording in the future. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, but tonight I have a keynote with Mizzou, um, University of Missouri. I'm doing an MLK keynote. Yeah. Let me say his whole name because I don't want to participate in erasing him. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I have a keynote in honor of him. Thank you. Um, but I have lots of different dates coming up. In theory, my website is updated with those events, but you're probably better off just following me on Facebook, you know, to see what's going on. Um, so I'll be reading over Zoom and perhaps in person, depending on how right. things go um, across the country. 
Um, I'm also planning the 2022 Magic City Poetry Festival. That's my nonprofit, um, our nonprofit. I don't want to say my, I have a really incredible board who helps cool. and it makes it all happen. Um, but we're planning some virtual and possibly in-person events in Birmingham. Again, who knows what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but we have some really exciting writers who we can't quite announce yet, but just know it's going to be amazing. <laughs> so definitely stay tuned. Um, and what else do I have? Um, I'm writing a new book. Okay. So, you know, we'll see how that's going. It's not poems. Oh. Yeah, right. It's okay. poems. Um, they are essays and they're critical. These are air quotes for the listening audience. <laughs> critical essays. Um, and there's quotes because I'm kind of taking a poet's approach. Um, wow. The book is called What the Mirror Said, The Necessity of Black Women in Poetry. Mm. In this book, which is um, coming out through University of Mich Michigan's Poets on Poetry series, um, I'm going to be sort of chronicling the poets, the Black women poets who led me on my path. So starting from Eloise Greenfield in second grade, her poem, Harriet Tubman, which made me write poetry, like that is the poem that told me you have to do this you know right from her to Rita Dove to Lucille Clifton of course um mm -hmm. Gwendolyn Brooks Phyllis Wheatley mm -hmm. several I'm sure I'm missing oh Patricia, Patricia Smith there you go Patricia yeah Smith. um but yeah these women poets black women poets um are so vital to like the history of poetry and really to most of us feeling comfortable writing poetry um right. every poet I've ever met most of them, let me not say every, absolutes are never good, but most poets I've met um, have said, oh, Lucille Clifton, they have a Lucille Clifton poem that has done something for them, right. or a Gwendolyn Brooks poem that's done something for them, or Rita Dove, or Tracy K. Smith, or, you know, the list goes on and on. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I want to write about my own journey with them, but also talk about some of their poems in a more critical way, um, a close reading, if you will. I am no, you know, PhD, whatever person. I'm not trafficking in theories right now. Um, so, you know, <laughs> which is no shade. Okay. No, I feel you. Anyone who does, that's just not my ministry. So, right, right. Um, but yeah. Now, what books do you have out now? I have three books of poetry out currently. Um, oh, I forgot to say, I don't know how this reminded me, I, something that's coming. Mm -hmm. is um, an anthology that I co-edited with Rebecca Gale Howell for um, the University Press of Kentucky. Right it's on. An anthology about labor, all kinds of labor. Um, so that should be coming next year. Um, so, yeah. But things that I've written myself. I have there three books of poetry. Um, the first is called Magic City Gospel. It's from Hub City Press in South Carolina, Spartanburg. Mm -hmm. um, I have a second book called Dark Thing, which came out from Pleiades Press mm -hmm. in Missouri. And my most recent book, which just came out in September of 2021. Wow, almost said 2020, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> um, the time i tell you um but it is called reparations now right yeah and we can find all of this on your website tell us what that website is the website is www.ashleymjonespoetry.com awesome now before we let you slip away would you read a poem for us absolutely so this poem that i'm going to read i think i'm 
drawn to it because um, I'm going to have to fly soon because, as I said, I have tour dates coming up and you already know what's going on in the world. So there's anxiety, you know, (laughs) you know, I already have anxiety about flying because like it doesn't make sense to me. You know, when you really like sit down and think about what it is. It makes me nervous. I'm itching thinking about it. I'm the same way. Trains right right on the ground. It doesn't make (laughs) sense. How are Uh -uh. we in this heavy machine (laughs) up in the air? And you telling me a human is dry? No. <laughs> no, no, no. I got you. I got so, you. So, um, so this is a poem that I wrote on a plane. I have a few poems I've written on a plane, um, which I never thought I'd be relaxed enough to write a poem. But maybe it's not mm-hmm. because I'm relaxed. It's because I'm like urgently trying to get something down before you know. That's um, it. So <laughs> before this plane goes down, Lord right, God, it's my last poem. That's right. <laughs> As okay, morbid good. as it is. It but, is, it's true. You know, we're poets, so that's... We are. We live in that our place. Job. Um, so this poem I wrote, I think it was in 2020, actually, like the last flight I took before, you know, everybody was in You're their weird. homes. So this poem right. I wrote while I was on a plane on my way back from D.C. Um, with my sister. And something happened as we were taking off. Like, you know, when you're getting ready to take off, the little safety stuff plays. And depending on the kind of plane you're on, there's different ways that that happens. So this particular plane, when you fly from Birmingham to DC and back, you're on a very, very small plane, like Mm -hmm. the worst possible plane for anyone with anxiety, you're on that. So they don't have little screens or anything. So the flight attendant has to like either say it or they play an audio recording and the person just kind of like pantomimes. But this particular flight attendant did something that I've never seen before. Uh-huh. She, as the audio was playing, mouthed the words and something about that just like set me off into poetry land and made me feel actually much safer, you know, than, okay. than normal. So I'm going to read the poem and I think you'll kind of get what happened. Right. Friendly skies or black woman speaks herself into God. We're taxiing at an airport named after American president, Ronald Reagan. People tell me he was an American hero. Sometimes labels are jumbled in the big dark bag we call manifest destiny. Sometimes things get lost in its velvet mouth. As we move across the land in a machine built for sky, We wait for the flight attendant to tell us how to be safe, how to will ourselves alive 30,000 feet in the air if we find ourselves falling to an inevitable end, how to build a raft from breath alone to face a gulping sea. Our attendant, Valerie, is black. Her braids hang a holy rope in a high ponytail. Her eyes divinely familiar. When the disembodied voice booms over the plain speakers, we see her mouth moving in time with its words. To ensure your safety, she says, secure your mask before helping others. Her lips make the shape of our salvation. Reader, this might be how you felt sitting in the movie theater's strobe-lit box when you saw Black Panther when you realized a black person could feel as big as God, could save the world and make it home in time for dinner, run a whole country against no white background, 
could know the land and its secrets and roam the afterworld, leisurely resting after a life of nothing colonized. After all the sweat of work done just for self, of work unstolen and unenslaved. And I know Valerie isn't God, but I also know that she is standing here, commanding this voice we thought was faceless, using her earthly body to show us the way. Here with her hands, which will pour us fizzy drinks in our little plastic cups, usher trash from our laps into an unknown abyss. I know if this thing goes down in a fiery cocoon, she will part every sea to cradle us. She will speak to us through the fire. You are that you are. It's music. I know that sounds, I may sound trite, but uh, the, the, the melody and cadence you have, it woos you into a music in your poetry. Mm. I, I fly with you mm. in the positive sense. And, and it, it takes me back. And I can't, thank, I can't thank you enough for sharing this with me and with my audience. Um, as things come up, uh, when new things develop in your life, please let me know. We'll bring you back on the show. Because, I mean, it's, it's, it's electrifying to share time with you. Wow. Thank you, Cliff. No, it's the least so I can kind. do. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. And I hope you have a great day and I hope you all the luck on the stuff coming up. Y'all go out and check out her website and buy her books. And before we can bring on our next guest, let's round out this piece with You Can't Always Get What You Want by the Rolling Stones.
Now we have Scott Evan Davis, an award-winning composer and lyricist, and now a powerhouse on social media. Scott, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing really good. Happy Monday. I think it's Monday. It is Monday. It's Monday now. It's Monday with us. Uh, and it's not a bad one at that to start off this way. Um, and I want more people to be happy about this Monday by knowing more about you. So tell us about you, Scott Evan Davis. Uh, well, I woke up at seven. No, I'm just kidding. I, um, I was born in New Jersey and I spent most of my life studying to be an actor and a singer. And, you know, I sort of, that's what I, where, where, where my training sits. And um, I guess when I was about 30 years old, I wrote my first song. 30, 31 years old, I wrote my first song. It was very random. It's not something that I wanted to do. It just sort of found me. True. And that's what I've been doing ever since. So, well, that and sort of making jokes on social media. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I want to jump over to. Now, we're going to come back because I feel like you yada, yada, yada over a lot of your brilliant life. So we're going to put a pin in that and come oh. back. To the, but to springboard from what point you just set up, uh, the way I found you uh, was on Instagram. And uh, you said right before we started, apparently people love sarcasm, and they do. In the time now that's so crazy with stress, every time you come across, I'm not kidding, you knew it was going to be funny. And you had that eyebrow raise in the coffee cup. Like every day it set off like I feel the exact same way. How did you start that, that brilliant side business? Listen, I'll tell you how I started. Um, but before I say it, I'm just going to let you know that if I had known, and I really mean this, if I had known that I could raise one eyebrow, and get a following. I don't know if I would have worked half as hard with doing what I've been doing for the past <laughs> 10 years. Do you know what I mean? Like who yeah. knew? All right, yeah. so what happened was I've been on TikTok social media. Well, that's not true. I've been on social media for years because right. as a composer, as somebody who's a writer, Facebook, and then I did have an Instagram page, but I didn't really know how to use it. I didn't, you know, I, it, it's hard to grow and I just sort of didn't care enough, I guess. I thought I was, a public person, but little did I know I wasn't. But I right. would post things and that was just it, and like pictures and selfies and things like that. But about a year ago during the pandemic, um, I just wanted to know about TikTok because a lot of people I knew were starting to find it. I didn't know what it was. And I just sort of spent a week or two sleuthing it, you know, and, and really seeing what it was. And then I created an account and I started off doing lip syncs and silly things and and Golden Girls skits and just, cause I, I, I just was, you know, my original concept was I'm gonna start social media and TikTok and I'm going to grow my business because I also teach voice and piano lessons virtually. Mm -hmm. So I thought maybe I can grow my studio and things like that, reach kids, I didn't know. And then what happened was I realized that I was scrolling through these videos on my own and all I wanted to do was laugh. And mm. that's sort of how I gravitated and then it dawned on me a couple months in, because I'm a creature of habit. I'm not gonna just do it. I'm gonna do it every day. I'm gonna structure, like it is so integral to my personality to sort of be habitual in that way. Yeah. And I decided that I couldn't spend two hours every morning like editing these scenes with four people that I was lips, it was insane. I couldn't do yeah. it, I didn't have yeah. time. Yeah. And so I said, wouldn't it be great if I could just sit here and say something as me and be done? And yeah. that's how it started. And then eventually I just got sick of looking at my, because um, you know, I match my mug to my- Yeah, oh, I know, yeah. Because I have a big mug collection and it just, people started sending me mugs and anthropology started sending me mugs. And and I just realized, okay, well, this is something. And I think it just organically happened, to be honest. And it's, you know, the eyebrow sort of grew as it, everything morphs. 
Yeah. And now, um, here we are. <laughs> and I mean, you have merch. And that's one of my I do favorite, have that's merch. My, that's one of my favorite videos of you is like hating on people that are gonna hate on you for merch. Yeah. I yeah. wish I could play that on the show, dude. Tell us about your merch. <laughs> Tell us about your merch, man. It's funny you should even ask that because I actually had that designed on a whim because everybody was asking me because I go live on TikTok every morning at nine yeah. and they were like, do you have a podcast? Do you have merch? And I was like, no, I have a life. But the, <laughs> I, I, I really did sit there and was like, okay, well, maybe I'm, I'm missing something. If people want quotes with a mug, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I put it together. I, people call, so there was someone on, on, on Instagram. Was it you? No, it wasn't you. But somebody on Instagram commented and was like, um, oh my God, it's the Prince of Snarkness. And I laughed for like five minutes because he's yeah. Prince of Darkness, Prince mm -hmm. of Snarkness. I don't know why I just explained it to you or your listeners. I'm sure you're all- I'm glad you did. Someone needed that. But, but, um, but I, I reached out to them and said, can I, can I take that and run? Can I have that? Can I yeah. have that? So I created the and I looked at the hashtag and nobody had used it before. Uh -huh. And I started using it on all my videos as a hashtag. And that is sort of how the merch happened. And to be honest with you, on TikTok, that hashtag hmm? has 28 million views. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But the point is, I, I, I developed the, this merch and I wasn't thrilled with it. Right. And someone just reached out to me from, from Europe a couple of days ago and was like, hey, I would love to help you redesign your merch. So anyway, it does exist. It is being sold, and I'm going to redo it now that my following is a little bit more than it was. And if people can't hear it, they need to be aware of your humility. We joke a lot about your snarkiness, and again, it's, it's which the 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 genuine humor that you bring into what you do. I mean, it's the hardest thing to capture because you can't manufacture it, as far as I know. Thank you. You know, it, it's it's I really you, that. and you can tell when people try to come on and they're going to try and do a Scott ripoff, and it's like, please. You know, and, 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 that, and I think, you know, it is true. Like anybody that imitation is the greatest flattery. No, it's really annoying. It, you know, it, you are you, and and it, it, you know, and when and I always hear, and again, I told you all, you know, how the way I feel about flattery, I don't do it. Is that you know what the genius of what you do is that you are, you know, and that's exactly that's what you so give nice. people. You know, and it's 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 the absolute honest truth, and it's one of those things that's like if I can't get that on my show, then I feel like I've lost something because my mm -hmm. listeners need to have some of that because it's like. It's like, you know, you know, if you get up in the morning, it's like, you know, audio visual Prozac, you know, Scott comes on, I feel better every time you can go out there and do something. And the fact that it's you called know, Scottatonin. It, it, thank you. I always wondered. I got it right about, here on the spot. Hashtag, hashtag about, <laughs> about noon. I start itching. I need some more cousin, you know, <laughs> that's more addiction, but that's a whole different show. <clears throat> We're going to fuse here in the intervention on Scott. No. <laughs> I try never to, I make sure that I never have enough friends for an intervention. So. <laughs> that That's the key. So if all three are there, nope. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag run. Right. Um, now, seriously, and we will get back to a serious note now. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, you are an award-winning composer and lyricist. Tell us specifically now. I ain't going to let you yada yada this. Tell us about that, brother. So I, um, like I said, I started writing when I was 30. Right. And that, again, was a very random thing that happened to my life. It's a whole, that's a story in and of itself why I started writing music in the first place. But it, it happened in a dream and, and, and it's an interesting story if you want to know. But I would love I, to know, boss. I, no, I want that story now. Give me that story now. So I went to college, um, one of the colleges. I went to Emerson College in Boston for a year. Mm -hmm. I've been on my own for a long, long time just financially. and. Um, I mean, I have, I have a lovely family. I just, just financially, I've been on my own, and and I and I put, I wanted to go to Emerson College for theater. I couldn't really afford it after a year, so I dropped out, 
and decided to go to AMDA, which is the American Musical Music and Dramatic Academy here in New York. And I met a teacher there who became my mentor. And um, sadly, when I met him, he was really riddled with um, with cancer, and he was really trying to just like do the best he could and still teach. And he was very revered, and we developed a connection, and the doctors had only given him like I think a year to live from that point. I was 19 years old, and it didn't really hit me, really. I didn't quite process that. Right. But I ended up spending a lot of time with him and, and talking to him a lot, and he really, really saw something special in me. So he was teaching me everything he knew about theater and acting and singing and all that. We had a fight at one point, because um, I was 19, and I ended right. up moving back to Boston, because I had friends up there and a relationship up there, yeah. and I just didn't want to stay here anymore, and I felt lonely. Right. I was very upset, because he was like, I've given you this time, you know. Long story short, I made a dumb decision, moved back to Boston, and he passed away. Never really resolved it. Well, flash forward to when I was 30 years old, I was just living my life. I was an actor. I was in an off-Broadway play, actually, uh -huh. as an actor. Uh -huh. And I was just going through a really rough time and emotionally, and I had a dream about him. And he was like sitting on a park bench, and he had his hair, because, you know, he had lost it. And he was just putting his arms out like this, and he wanted to hug me in the dream. Yeah. I'll never forget it. And I hugged him. And I felt like, oh, he's forgiving me. Oh, this is the resolution I've needed for all of these years, you know, because I figured he died mad at me, you know, but yeah. he was hugging me. And he started to hum as he was hugging me. Uh -huh. And long story short, I woke up, sort of forgot about the dream till the next day. And I or don't remember what I was doing. I was in a cab, I think. I was uh -huh. going home. And I couldn't wait to get home because I couldn't get that melody out of my head. And I just um, ran home to my piano because I always, I taught myself to play the piano when I was 11 years old and I played my whole life, so that wasn't new, but I'd never written anything and I started to plunk out the melody. And that became my first song, which brings me to your question originally, which was like the awards and stuff. So I have two albums out, mm -hmm. uh, Cautiously Optimistic and, and Next. And that song we're talking about is called the song that melody that i heard was it became a song called cautiously mystic that's why i dedicated my first album and the title of that album to him gotcha. and i've been writing ever since um i have a, a broadway world award for a song i wrote an ascap award for a song about autism that um is sung kind of all over the world which i'm really grateful for i have an mti um musical theater award <clears throat> and um yeah, I mean, you know, it's just been a really w wonderful gift, I think, to be able to write. Don't know why I can do it. I can just do it. So there you it's, go. Uh, you know, it's, it's, the writing is my bag, too. Like, so, I mean, this, I love this. With interviews, like, I love to find out. There's always a part of me, like, how does he do that? You know, where's it, where's it come from? You know? The trick is and we never know until we do it. Because every song I sit down to write, I'm always like, I can't I'll never be able to do that again. Uh -uh. And then like three, you know, bottles of whiskey later and four <laughs> days of crying and you have a beautiful song. So somehow it happens. <laughs> it's very weird. The, the Scott equation. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Now, right. I know you can't say a lot about it, but you've got mm -hmm. some really cool stuff coming up, you know, as far as events. And yeah, tell us about that. What you can Sure. So um, the one cool thing is, this is just something I wanted to do. I used to do concerts like a lot and all over the world. Um, I, I, I did a concert in, in many in London and, and in Australia, and I had some shows that I did, and I played New York a lot. And I loved doing it. I loved sitting at a piano, and I loved 
sharing my music and getting yeah. singers, you know, Broadway singers to sing them. And so now that I have this following, I said a, a couple of months ago, I said, a lot of people tune into me more than I ever thought. And not because of my music, because they just, they want me to be funny or something. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that there was a good sort of way, a good synergy of those two things. So I decided that I haven't really done an autobiographical concert. I've done no. concerts. I've talked about, I wrote this song because, you know, but I've never really shared personal stories too much in relation to my music. So I decided that if I sat at a piano with a coffee cup or five or 10, and right. I sort of tried to tell some stories about my life that are personal, but like funny in a way, right. the way I can do it, and yeah. also have people sing my music and sort of intertwine it. So I'm, I'm doing that on May 21st. Uh, the show is called Connection Unstable. It's sort of nice. about humans and this technical world we're living in these days and my music and so that's may 21st at the triad theater in new york city and then i have a show called indigo which um, has broadway producers attached to it and right before the pandemic we had a bunch of pre-broadway workshops things were on hold but they're back up again and we have our first uh, theater that's going to be producing the first stage production um, next year and i'm very excited about that i can't say anything more about it but i can talk about the show i just can't say where it's going to be but um it's called indigo and it's about a um, uh, an autistic girl who's nonverbal, played by an autistic actress who's wonderful her name is madison from wisconsin uh we did a national casting call and we found her we i, I wouldn't have done this show if i couldn't get the lead actress to actually have <laughs> autism because yeah. that's very important to me and uh she's wonderful and the autistic community is a huge part of my life anyway so that's sort of how the song the the show came about but there's a grandmother who's experiencing dementia and the whole show is about communication and those of us that have the biggest struggle to communicate are usually the ones that can teach the most on that gorgeous note, we're going to let you go, Scott. But before we let you go, Scott, uh, we have a song that's yours that we're going to have between this one and the next interview, and it's called Falling Every Day. Tell us about that before I let you go. I go live on TikTok usually every morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, mm -hmm. and I have horrible imposter syndrome. I think everything I do is bad. I always will, or um, at least hopefully not, but right now. Um, and I definitely have a lot of insecurity. So I wanted to just bite the bullet and say, you know what, what if I just wrote a song in front of people while they were watching me? <laughs> Maybe yeah. that would do something. And it did. And that song became, I wrote it on TikTok lives for about a week and I released it a couple months ago. It's called Falling Every Day. It's on iTunes and Spotify, but it's sort of just about insecurities. Well, Scott, it was absolutely brilliant to have you on. And before we definitely let you go, tell folks where to go online to find you and how to keep up with you. So my name is Scott Evan Davis. A lot of people think it's Scott E. Van Davis or something. It's not. It's a, it's my full name. And that's basically my, my handle on almost everything, on okay. TikTok, on Instagram. I have a website, scottevandavis.com. Everything is sort of there all the time. Um, you know, that's how to find me, through my name. How funny. <laughs> and there we go. Scott is amazing to have you on, brother. And I, when it's Thank things you so develop, much. This is great. Bring, we'll bring you back on as soon as things go to fruition with you. Let us know what things happen. I will. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a fantastic day. You too, boss. Now, let's hear Falling Every Day.
out this hour perfectly we're now going to speak with writer and ucla extension writer program representative ashley griggs ashley how are you doing i'm doing great how are you did i say all that right did i introduce you correctly you got it perfect i love that i love that now with both feet on the ground tell us about yourself um well i'm from herndon virginia uh, which is just outside of Washington, D.C. Um, I grew up loving all sorts of writing. So I, I would say, first and foremost, I, I really loved writing poetry as a kid and growing up. Um, then got really heavily into journalism and then sort of made a transition to screenwriting, um, which oddly I do think was my first love. I've always loved films and, and TV. Grew up in sort of that generation where, uh, you know, I... I lived my life through TV in some capacity. So right. I got my MFA in dramatic writing um, at the Tisch School of the Arts in NYU. And then I moved yeah. to LA. What about uh, the drama in screenplay specifically calls to you? You know, I think it's really special, the opportunity to sort of um, 
explore life through characters. And yeah. I think the visual medium is um, one that's really close to my heart. Uh, I don't know. I think TV and movies are just sort of enchanting. And um, I love all genres. I, you know, have so many favorites. Um, and I think for me, I love the idea of creating new favorites for other people, maybe, maybe films and, and um, TV shows that are more representative. Um, Cause I think there's still so much work to do to make sure that everyone can sort of see themselves on screen. Um, but just in general, I think, um, you know, movies and, and TV are really special and the way that they can reach people. I agree. And, and out of like the eight years of having this show, I've never been able to logically plug the fact that uh, when I saw Pulp Fiction, when it came out in the theater with my dad and the way it was so dialogue and multi-layer driven, like I got that film experience. Like I loved the Goonies. I loved growing up. Like I had, I mean, dude, you know, the movies, but that was when I was like, this is the way my head works. Like this is the way I interpret things. And, 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 and the work that I've seen of yours online, you have a, an uncanny ability to create natural dialogue. Um, and and that, that fascinates me. How do you do that? How, how do you, how, how do you make that magic happen? You know, I would say, um, I really love listening to people. So when I was in grad school, um, we had a exercise that we did where we had to follow, not follow someone on the street, but you know, find someone <laughs> not creepy at all. <laughs> <laughs> find someone having a conversation and really just like observe it, uh, listen to the cadence of two people talking back and forth. Um, and I would say that exercise really fit my um, natural tendency to be an observer and a listener. Um, so for me, you know, when I write dialogue, I often speak it out loud. I'm really um, trying to hone in on natural cadence. I love that. I love that. I love that. And I'm going to, and, and you have a website coming out soon, uh, but it's still under construction. We're just going to circle back around to that. I want people to be aware of your work. Um, but before we send them in that direction, I want to back up into that moment that you can remember that drew you to words to begin with before film, before TV, was there something that snapped you up and said like, this is what I've got to follow. You know, I think my parents were great about um, giving me books to read and letting me read out loud uh, as a kid. So in particular, I can remember um, the the night before Christmas is a book that I had memorized um, by probably about three years old. And I just loved, um, you know, reading it aloud to them. But I, at some point I stopped looking at the pages. I could just sort of interpret the words and um, yeah. I had memorized it. Um, and I think there's something really special about telling people stories and watching their reaction. I definitely yes. loved that as a kid. Yes. Um, so I think that itself probably made me obsessed with storytelling. And then I also, um, for a while when I was really little, wanted to be a songwriter. I don't have any natural um, singing ability, but I was really into the thought of um, making up stories to music. And so I would uh, make up stories in my head all the time, sing them out loud. So I think something about that performance, mm -hmm. telling stories to people, watching their reaction um, really sort of lit my fire in a way it lights it now i mean you can you can feel the, the scene you're setting as we speak when you when you do poetry there there is a, a thematic event 
there is a musical quality. I have always been fascinated with the idea and the cohesion of where poetry and music stop and start. You know, and then the successful poetic uh, reading, the the moment that gets you like and like happy like a kid is when that poet is into it and their hands are into it and they can't tell the story unless they get it the whole body around it. It takes you back to being a child, you know, um, and, 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 and do you find do you find that staying sane and like times like we've just had that that childlike blue flame, you know, does, does, has that helped pull you through this dark time? Oh, for sure. Um, I think without writing without being able to sort of channel emotion um and and even just you know talking to people i think that um you know telling your stories and conversation to people can be just as cathartic as writing in a lot of ways so i think all of that um has helped me and i'm sure a lot of people through this pandemic through this time of um you know loneliness so yeah i, I Definitely think that's been an important piece for the last couple of years. All these pieces fall together uh, professionally uh, for you in a brilliant program. The UCLA Writers Extension uh, is uh, a brilliant program and its success rate of, of the ability to teach and then those students to go on and succeed in their field and actually make it a viable part of their income. Um, tell me your part of that and what drew you to it. Yeah, so I knew of the writers program um, through working at UCLA. Actually, I, I was working in a totally different department of UCLA. Um, learned, you know, about the writers program and knew that that's where I, I wanted to work. Um, in particular, I wanted to work with uh, a creative writing program. Um, so when an opportunity came up to work there, I jumped on it. Um, I am a program representative. So my role with the program is really to coordinate classes. I work really closely with instructors and we offer classes in so many different types of writing, um, creative writing, various forms of creative writing. So poetry, fiction, nonfiction, um, editing and publishing as well. And then uh, on the other side, we have screenwriting. So feature film writing and TV writing. Um, I absolutely love working with the program. Uh, I, I think it's really special to be able to support other writers and I'm always looking for ways to do that in my life. Um, so through this program, I'm able to sort of work with the two sides that we support the instructors are all working professionals in the writing field in some capacity and are really looking for a way to share their gift and their experience with students. Um, often our instructors, when they come to us, they've never taught before or they've only taught like, you know, once or twice in their life. They're looking for this new opportunity to share their gift with students. And um, so it's really great to be able to support them. That's my role in like helping them get up to speed with what teaching is like, um, preparing them to teach, supporting them along the way. And then I also get to work on the other end with students who, um, you know, are pursuing their personal or professional goals. Uh, and I think it takes a lot of bravery to sign up for a class. Um, some students have been writing for their whole lives, some are new to it. Um, so we're supporting them at different stages in their writing journey. And I think being able to um, work with those two groups of people on a daily basis is amazing. 
It is. It is. And now to, to, to make sure that people go to the correct place to check out your program, uh, how do they find your homepage? So um, you can go to UCLA Extension's main website, um, which is uh, uclaextension.edu. You can also go to um, the writers program specific website, which is writers at uclaextension.edu. Well, we've made it to another successful conclusion of Dante's Old South. Miracles will never cease. Thank you, Richard Wynnum with WUTC and NPR for making this show sing as it truly does, because y'all, without him, this would be a mess. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this show. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to Meadowbrook Inn and Blowing Rock, North Carolina, for all your support. Thank you, universe, for putting us here amongst each other and these circumstances improve the whole scene. I'm going to finish the show by reading a poem from my upcoming collection called Book of Old Gods. This one's called The Sky is a Nightgown. Bring the sky down in a nightgown. Foggy ripples of it on walls first cold, choking off the harbor. Shafts of pine trees slick with water, still wet. The mist is a gauzy cloth that rubs green out of everything. An old summer moth divinity. Those hours cloth crinkled underfoot. The frozen night. Dark. Forceful 2 a.m. fits tightly between mountains into small towns where wolves push through pine needles, fur trimmed back by wart. The first thaw. The first shot at it. Forefinger into red clay, rich earth, fertile, curiously unfrozen. Sugar Jack Frost can't find you. Good night, y'all.